Have you ever been like Judas is the title of this one, right? Have you ever been like Judas, feeling you betrayed your Lord, sinking deep into the world, not heeding to his word? Take heart. There is one who loves you each and every day. Just come to him and ask. He'll always show you the way. For he's the one who died and rose, so that we all may be free from sin, bringing salvation to the world, including ones like you and me. So remember, when Satan brings up all the things you might regret, you just remind him of Calvary, lest he should forget. And he closes it with the thought, that's a great old song, the old rugged cross made the difference. Didn't it? Didn't it? Joe, thank you. God bless you. Okay, I want you to go with me to Mark 11. We're going to deal with kind of the first 11 or so verses of Mark 11. And we're going to look at this first story, this story uh, of um, the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem. Now, uh, let me give you a little, little thought or an assignment here. If you're not on a reading plan, okay, if you're not on a reading plan, uh, uh, something that you might want to do this week, you could read the gospel fairly easily this week. Read the book of Mark. That's where we are today. It's only 16 chapters long. You can read a couple of chapters a day and get through it fairly easily uh, through the week. If you would like to do kind of a, um, a, a Holy Week study, uh, what I love about Mark is it picks up the story right when Jesus' earthly ministry begins. He, he, he's interested in getting the story out there so he doesn't deal with the birth and all that stuff. Uh, he starts right when Jesus' ministry begins, and it ends um, after the resurrection. So uh, the great way to, to be exposed to the gospel, if you're not on a reading plan right now, that might be a, a, a good way for you to begin. Now, I read a guy this week, I read an author this week, that talked about the, the uh, triumphal entry of, of Jesus, or Palm Sunday, being uh, possibly the most symbolically significant Christian um, occasion on the Christian calendar. He talked about kind of how important Christmas is and certainly how important Easter is that we're going to celebrate next week. By the way, did you know Jesus never told you to remember his birth? He never told you to remember his birth. He told you to remember my death, didn't he? So every time we take Holy Communion, that's what we're doing, right? Remembering his death until he comes. That's a great promise, by the way. If you'll remember me, Remember, I'm coming back, he says. Well, uh, this particular author talks about the significance of this. And, and what I want us to deal with here is what does Palm Sunday, this Sunday, mean to you? I, I think affectionately this morning, we talked about it as we we're getting dressed this morning about the little girls waving palm branches in Michigan today. I hope, you know, that's just a wonderful thing for me to think about. I hope I get pictures of all that, you know. Since they're not going to be here, we'll probably have kiddos in the sanctuary today. So usually they do something like that on Palm Sunday. Um, but what I want you to think with me about is the truth that Jesus is the King. There is no rival. He is the King. And um, the second truth I want us to deal with today, he is the king. If, if Palm Sunday teaches us anything, it teaches us that. But it also teaches us something that could be just as important, and it's this. His kingdom is not at all like you may think it is. It was, certainly wasn't at all like those who were there for that first Palm Sunday thought it was going to be. All right? Now, let me give you a little bit of background. 
Uh, this is one, this particular story that we read in Mark 11 is one of the very few stories in Jesus' life and ministry that is included in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Jesus, it, it, each of these writers reports Jesus coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover a week before his death, and each of them mentions that um, that, that that arrival was marked by uh, crowd acclaim, popular acclaim. Um, when you read Matthew's account, uh, up to this point in Mark, um, you read that Jesus has been kind of going from village to village. But if you read Matthew's account, if you read John's account, it kind of gives us the idea that Jesus, this is not his first time in Jerusalem. He's been in and out of there before. But if you're reading just Mark verbatim, it almost sounds like he's been in the country and now he's coming to the city. Don't let that kind of throw you off. You kind of got to compare that to some of the other, other gospels to get the full effect of it. But uh, we do kind of get this idea in Mark that he focuses ministry primarily on rural peasants who lived in and around the villages across Galilee. But if you'll look with me, since you're hopefully already turned to Mark, look at verse chapter 10. Look, 10.1 marks a difference here. Getting up, he went from there, Galilee, Perea, to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered him around him again. And according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. So instead of now working through Galilee, he has gone to Jerusalem. Um, he was taking his message there. As he did that, he was accompanied by a, a huge crowd of pilgrims who were headed to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. So this is kind of a wonderful setup in, in many ways. Having seen Jesus' miracles and having heard his teachings, um, many of those who came to Jerusalem for the festival of Passover must have expected him to do something really, really big. Jesus however, had a different kind of kingdom in mind. He wasn't all that interested in politics. He was going to Jerusalem not to conquer it, but to give his life for it and for you and me. Now, those around him, certainly those in charge, those in political power and religious power even, um, began to get tense when he showed up in Jerusalem. Uh, those tensions mounted to a point where it just wasn't safe for Jesus to be in the city. Um, and it reached a fever pitch when Jesus comes to Bethany a few, um, a few weeks, a few days before this day that we'll talk about today in the trifle entry and raises Lazarus from the dead. And then all this week, he's going to kind of come and go from, from Bethany. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so Jesus enters Jerusalem for the final time. Um, to the applause of a massive Passover crowd, a great many people thought that he was coming as a king to claim his rightful throne. And in so many ways he was, but it wasn't at all like they thought it was going to be. Bob, got your Bible with you? All right, or you got something back there you're reading from. Would you read the first six verses of Mark 11?
Okay. I love the giggles, and we're going to deal with the giggles a little bit here here in a minute. All right, I'm going to hand out a couple of verses I want us to go to. Would somebody go to John 12? John, would you? You ought to, since it's John. John, and I'm going to ask you to read 12:1, and then in a, in a little bit after that, I'll ask you to read 12:14. John, okay. Uh, now here's a, here's a harder assignment. Somebody find Zechariah 9:9. That's great. Hang on to it. I should have known. All right, Zechariah 9, 9. Then I want somebody else to find Mark, just turn back to Mark 4, and we're going to read 39 and 41. Who will do that? Thank you, Louise. Okay, all right, now let's, let's deal with this, okay? He is going to spend the last week of his life here on the earth um, before his death. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard for me to say it's the last week of his life here on the earth because, you know, he dies, raised, is, is raised uh, to the... Uh, from the dead on Sunday, then he's here, he's around here for another 40 days. But, okay, you kind of get where I'm going with this. He spends, uh, there's a little village called Bethany, um, about two miles from Jerusalem. It's kind of a bedroom community for Jerusalem. And his friends, Mary, Martha, and their until recently dead brother Lazarus, uh, it's just their home, and it's a good place for him to rest. So he and the disciples will come and go from Bethany all week. So when, when Bob was reading um, verse 1, it mentions uh, Bethany here. It also mentions a place called Bethpage, uh, which is also near Bethany. Think War Acres. Okay? All right? So he not only went to Bethany, he went to War Acres um, during that week. And then, uh, then probably of a really prominent, important place, uh, it mentions that he is going to spend some time on the Mount of Olives. Now, what you need to know is the Mount of Olives is a, is a kind of a huge, um, there are huge olive groves there, and that's why it's called that. But it also um, has a distinction, if any of you that have been there, of being about 200 feet in elevation above the city of Jerusalem and above the temple courts. So from that vantage point, when he's there praying, um, he can see kind of what's going on, see all the hubbub in Jerusalem with millions of Passover visitors. Okay? So that's kind of another important vantage point for this last week, this holiest of weeks. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to make kind of a, maybe what to some of you would be a startling claim, but what I really believe is that the pieces are being put in place here for what I would call the most significant Passover celebration in history. Now, what's the problem with that thought? The first one. Ellie, you're becoming more and more of a scholar the longer I get to know you. The, uh, the biggest event in all of Hebrew, Hebrew history, the biggest event in all of Jewish and Israelite history is what? The Passover. The, the crossing of the Red Sea, the... Uh, uh, the passing over the death angel, the, the saving of the nation of Israel, and their, and their release from bondage uh, in slavery in Egypt. That is the, that's the 4th of July for the whole Jewish nation. Okay? Still is in Jesus' time. This is the biggest celebration of the year, and they mark it because it's the most important, it marks the most important things that ever happened in the nation of Israel. But I'm going to still submit to you, despite that truth, that this Passover was more important than any of them. Why? Because really, without this Passover, the events that took place a couple thousand years before that 
1,500 years or so before that, really have no significant meaning. What happens this Holy Week that we're studying today puts all of those things that happened 1,500 years or so before in perspective. It endues them with meaning that they haven't had before. You and I talked a couple of weeks ago. How would we know anything about the Paschal Lamb that Paul teaches about in Romans if we didn't both have the Passover narratives from the book of Exodus and the narrative about the last week of Jesus' life and John declaring in the Gospels, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So I'm going to submit to you that this is the most significant Passover ever, before or since. Okay, who's got John 12, 1? Did I give that one out? John, I give it to you, didn't I? Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethlehem, where Lazarus lived, and Jesus Okay, now what you've got to recognize is that Lazarus is big property. A guy who up until a few days ago was dead, now he's alive. And so all of that visitation and all of this surrounding uh, work in Bethany just makes Jesus um, politically nearly untouchable. All right, now, um, verse 2, we meet the donkey. And I got, I got to admit to you, I had a little bit of fun this week studying the donkey, okay? So you can put the word donkey in the next blank, all right? The use of a donkey here is significant, and we need to kind of come to terms with why it's significant. Now, first of all, it was prophesied. Estella, read Zechariah 9.9. This was from 500 years or so B.C. Now, what i got to deal with and how I need to compare like John and Matthew with Mark, when we're reading Mark, Mark just says they went and got a colt. Well, you and I know, according to the other Gospels, that it was a donkey's colt, okay, and that that was according to prophecy from, from Zechariah. Catch the word there he used. He's gentle. Do you realize in Matthew 10, the only place Jesus ever tells us in the Gospels that I can recall what he was like, what his personality was like, the only place that the Son of God says, this is what I'm like, in Matthew 10, about verse 28, he says, for I am gentle and humble, lowly in heart. He's the only one, by the way, who could ever say I'm humble and get away with it. Okay? Okay. if, if you're reveling about your humility, sorry, wrong answer. <laughs> okay, so, um, this was prophesied. Now, here's, my, here's the kind of the problem that's woven into this that I begin to think about this week. He sends the disciples to get a donkey. And it's a donkey that's never been ridden. And he's going to ride it. Now, uh, we have a couple of donkey experts right here in our class. (laughs) Did you know it? John and Pat Reed, I'm assuming Thelma and Louise are not still with us, are they? Louise is Thelma. Thelma's 
Well, it was some, but one of them's gone. But a long time ago, I went out to their place up by Guthrie, and they introduced me to Thelma and Louise, who were two little bitty donkeys. And what I was impressed with is one of the reasons you had them there was because they were really good with, with critters. They were really good with, um, what I remember, they're good, on, they're good to handle the coyotes and snakes and whatever else that comes up because they're fierce, which I, I just couldn't believe, these little tiny guys. And they're cute as all get out, but you don't want to cross them, right? <laughs> now, I did some reading this week. I, I literally Googled, if you want to do this, this might be fun for you. I did it. I literally Googled the question, how do you break a donkey that's never been ridden? <laughs> Found out lots of stuff, okay? Donkeys are analytical and methodical, and they don't yield the pressure very well. Uh, you got to start with a halter rather than with a bridle. Now, remember, he's got a rope tied around him, the one that they get. You may need to try to squeeze a chute after the donkeys become accustomed, squeeze them into a chute after the donkeys become accustomed to it. With every new thing you try, the donkey needs to become curious about what you're doing and come to accept it. Now, now remember what they're getting ready to do here. Familiarize the donkey with your and his environment. Uh, be friendly and consistent in your temperament. Approach him um, uh, in your body and, and body language and tone. Use your voice as the first tool of training. Donkeys are slow learners, and they can get confused and startled by anything new. Combined voice commands with treats like carrots or apples. Uh, introduce the halter to the donkey by rubbing his back with it, holding it near his face while giving him treats. Praise him for his co cooperation. Take off the halter and repeat till he has become accustomed to it. Lead the donkey by pulling the rope gently with voice commands. If you're not experienced in training, you may want to bring in a trainer to help you. I'm thinking, duh. Okay. Have a friend hold him while you mount. Uh, you train them very much like a horse, except they need more rewards and bribes. I think you may need professional help. You know, I'm reading all this stuff. So how did Jesus think he's going to be able to just hop on an unbroken, never-ridden donkey? Did you hear that? He made donkeys. In a state, one of the things I want you to catch here, in an illustration, in an illustration of his authority, they lead a donkey to him. And by the way, maybe the greater miracle is that the donkey would go. They lead a donkey to him with a rope tied around his neck. And he hops on him and rides. Because he has authority over donkeys. And the rest of the created order. Look, at, did I have somebody go to 439? Okay. Mark 439, and then I want you to jump to 41. He got up, rebuked the wind, and drove away. Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. I want you to think about this last Wednesday night. When the winds were out of control. And I want you to recognize the story that's told in Mark 4, the same gospel, that Jesus rebuked the wind and caused it to still. And read verse 41 again, Louise. How can you read that little print? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? 
Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. If he can do that, I would submit to you that hopping on the back of a never broken donkey is probably a piece of cake. In fact, what I want you to think about, and and I'm getting really romantic here, really goofy here, but I want you to think about that this donkey was doing what he was created to do. I want you to think about the fact that this donkey may have strode into Jerusalem with Jesus riding on his back, the proudest donkey that's ever walked. Guess what? I'm carrying the Master. He needs me. You see, one of the things we got to deal with in this particular story is submission. Now, if you look at verse 3, it talks about, he tells him, go get this donkey and you'll find him tied, untie him, bring him to me. If they ask you what's going on, Tell him, it's okay, the Lord has need of him. All right? So either either here, Jesus is being prophetic. In other words, he knows there's a donkey somewhere. And he's, um, um, he's seeing this. That's entirely possible for the king of the universe. Or there's some advanced preparation involved. Okay? So it's either prophecy or preparation. But what I want you to catch here is... Either way, what happens here indicates a massive amount of submission on the part of the donkey owner who, uh, as they're untying him, you remember the story is where you're going with that donkey, okay? Um, maybe that's an owner or somebody knows the owner. You know, imagine if somebody hops in your car and is about to drive away, you're at least going to say, where are you going with my car? Because it's an expensive asset to have a donkey around the house, to have a donkey at your disposal, was an expensive asset. And yet, whoever the owners were, were submissive when the, when the disciples said kind of the magic words here, the Lord has need of her or him. Well, okay. There's lots of submission going on here. There's the disciples saying, okay, we'll go do that. I, I, when I was uh, about 12, maybe a little younger than that, my uh, cousin and I were very close. You know, I don't have any siblings, so my cousin and I were very close. He, he was raised in my home till he was about seven. And um, uh, I always thought he was my brother till, till you know, understood what the difference between a cousin and a brother was. I just thought Mike was my brother. But our grandfather lived in, outside, in, in, uh, right in Paola in Garvin County, and he had a farm uh, kind of a few miles out in, in the county. And I remember he sent us one time um, with his old Ford pickup, he sent us one time to get a load of what he called chat from uh, a, a, a kind of a, an intersection, a crossroads, where there was a huge mound of chat that the county left there. He wanted some for his driveway, and he sent Mike and me to get it. And I remember thinking, I'm going to be arrested. <laughs> I was not all that willing to be submissive. I was, okay, when Paul Paul said, uh, boys, go get me a load of chat from the, from, out by the farm. 
we did it, but I think we both thought we were going to be arrested. What we didn't know is probably he had this prearranged, or it was, there, you know, I don't know. I did, we just went, got it, we did what we were told to do. We were reluctantly submissive. Look at the submission of the owner of this donkey. Look at the submission of the disciples who were in the boat that Mike and I were in saying, uh, you're asking us to go steal a donkey. Okay. <laughs> Had to have felt that way. And look at the submission of a beast of burden who said, you say the Lord has need of me? I'm in. I wonder <coughs> if the great message is one of submission. I wonder. Now, there are no, it's interesting, as they approach, either way it indicates this kind of submission. As they approach, there are no demands made here, but rather, as they just say, uh, the Lord has need of this, there is an immediate positive response to the Lord's need. The question here, implies a natural response. Where are you going with that donkey? Um, um, hey, you're not taking off with that. The Lord has need of it. Oh yeah, that's okay. Wow. Okay, now that's the preparation. Let's talk about the event itself. Let's move on to verse 7. Uh, would somebody read uh, 7 down through 11? they do before he sat on the colt? They put their coats on it. Our king is not going to ride this little beast without some kind of a saddle. And so they put their coats on it. Uh, they do all kinds of these preparatory things here. Now, uh, we're talking still a little bit about Jesus choice of transportation to ride into Jerusalem triumphantly. What would you think he would more naturally ride if it was going to be a real triumphal entry? It wouldn't just be a horse. It would have to be a white one, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah. A stallion. Prancing. Commanding. In charge. Uh, it would be accompanied by... Uh, flourish. Why not that? Because this picture of a donkey fits the picture of Jesus' humility, his compassion, his gentleness. But they don't let him ride bareback, nonetheless. Now, um, so what, one of the things I want you is to catch here is the choice of his transportation, it seems obvious to me, 
indicates, first of all, the fulfillment of prophecy. Who'd go over to Matthew 21 and read verse 4? Matthew 21, 4. Cindy, you do that? Because Matthew's going to tie the, he's going to kind of connect the dots for us between the donkey and the fulfillment of Zechariah 9 prophecy. Okay? Okay. Now, Matthew makes the connection for us here that this is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. You could argue, okay, I've been around enough intellectuals, you can argue that this is a fairly easily self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Go get a donkey and ride it. Okay. But isn't it interesting, his choice of a mount here? Now, go with me. Cindy was over in Matthew... Um, um, 21. Let's go to Matthew, uh, if you will, go to Matthew 26 with me. Just back a few pages from where we are in Mark 11. Matthew 26. I'm going to start at verse 51. Behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut, cut off his ear. Now, by the way, this is Thursday night, same week. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching and you didn't seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill all the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Now, the idea here is, Jesus is a different kind of king, and it's really clear here. So the idea here is that this is not just the fulfillment of prophecy, but this is also in contrast, that's what goes in the, in the number two blank there, in direct contrast with imperial Roman power. How would a Roman conquering king enter Jerusalem? Not just on a white steed, Jopi, but with, um, with an entourage of chariots and soldiers and a show of military might. I think about, and if you've ever done any study on this, it's kind of fascinating. I think about how our president travels from one place to the other. How U.S. presidents, not just the current one, but a U.S. president travels. I get to think about uh, you and I see the pictures of him uh, getting on the helicopter to go get on the airplane. Uh, you know, isn't that interesting? Um, I'm thinking, dude, you can get a cab just like I can. No, it's not going to work. <laughs> all the pomp and circumstance and all of the military might that's present there. Uh, if you've read any of this stuff, you know, you know about the, um, the incredible detail that goes to get the president from one place to another. Uh, not only is there uh, a Marine One helicopter, but there's a decoy one. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible story. Instead, my king hops on the back of a lowly donkey and rides in to this important place. Now his king is quite different here. Uh, instead of saying, 
uh, get me Marine One, he says, guys, go fetch me a donkey. I, I love the thought. Okay, well, let's move on here. Now, um, their preparation as they begin to kind of line the way, was rather spontaneous. But I want to submit to you that it was predicted. Isaiah, Isaiah 40, verse 4, talk about how um, that those would come to make the way straight, make the path straight. That may be a little bit of a stretch for you because we certainly know John the Baptist took up that charge. But the idea is, on that first Palm Sunday, they made a way for the king to come into and to, to symbolically accept the scepter of his kingdom. Um, coats along the way. Imagine. Imagine throwing your coat for somebody to walk on, uh, much less for a donkey to walk on. And yet, they're caught up in all of this on that first Palm Sunday. It's pretty wonderful, actually. And in verse 9, they begin to shout praises. They begin to shout praises. Now, if you want to follow some of these, you can go with me to Psalm 118 because they're quoting directly out of Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is squarely in the middle of uh, a group of psalm literature known as the Hallel Psalms, H-A-L-L-E-L. Uh, 113 to about 118 are called the Hallel Psalms. And they're used... They're used uh, liturgically quite a bit uh, for, for the Jewish nation. Uh, the word hallel means praise. They are praise psalms. Typically, they are used uh, as a pilgrim, as uh, a worshiper, is making their way from whatever village or hamlet they're coming from to Jerusalem for one of the feasts. They will sing and they will quote uh, one of these 113 through 118th psalm. This is from the 118th Psalm. You've got to get in your mind the picture of these pilgrims coming from all these little villages and they're singing, prepare the way of the Lord. And yet when they get close, they meet the king himself riding in on a donkey. Look at, if you would please, uh, somebody read uh, for us. Um, let me get the verses I want us to look at. Somebody read verse 25 of Psalm 118. Anybody got it? The word, 118.25, is Hosanna. Okay? Hosanna. It literally means, Lord, save us. Or, Lord, save. In my particular uh, version of the scripture, it is it uses an extra word in there. Oh, Lord, save. Do save. It's an entreaty. Save us, we beseech you. Okay? Somebody read verse 26. Okay. Uh, all through here, and even in the New Testament as it's reported... Blessed are those who come in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord, as, as Eileen just read. In, 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 they add to it this idea of, it is the son of David. Do you know the political ramifications of what they're saying? You've got to catch this. There are huge political ramifications of them calling him the son of David. That means he's the one who was promised. 
This is what I want you to put here after the crowd shouted praises. This is a very nationalistic moment. He is the son of David that we have looked for, the forever king. There's lots of nationalistic expectation in this moment. Uh, let me read for you John 6. We've looked at something a little bit like it. Look at John, let me let you look at John 6.15 as we kind of bring this to a close. Here's what he says. John 6.15. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him a king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. He knows they want a king. He knows that they want a political king, and he knows that that's not why he came. But there's, this is a very nationalistic moment nonetheless. This is high drama. There's lots of expectation. And this is a time of crisis for the authorities around him that led to what would then take place on Friday. The parade, if you see this as a parade in verse 11, the parade ends at a very interesting place. If it was a ticker tape parade in downtown New York welcoming the Yankees home if they won, uh, uh, won the World Series, where do you think it would end up? At probably Yankee Stadium, right? If uh, it were the president uh, doing some kind of a, a motorcade through downtown Washington, where would it end up? It'd end up either at the White House or at the Capitol, at, at places of power. Where did Jesus' parade end? It ends at the temple. It ends at the temple. We, we dare not miss the significance of this. He didn't ride up to a palace. He rode up to the national seat, the place of worship. Why? Because one of the points he's trying to make while he's on it, donkey back, okay, is that my kingdom is a spiritual one. Now, I got a couple of questions for you to apply before we go. I think they're crucial. One of the things we've got to answer, and I think one of the things that the triumphal entry kind of brings us to, and if you put it in, in the perspective of what happens the rest of the week uh, of, of this first Holy Week, uh, it's actually a little disturbing and somewhat perplexing. But the question is, do you really believe that Jesus is a conquering king? There are some, even within Christianity, who do not believe that. In fact, there are some who believe that Jesus didn't get finished what he came here to do when he started, and that he's going to have to come back and start over. Okay? Don't want to make anybody mad, but one of the things we've got to kind of deal with here is, do you believe that Jesus really is and was 2,000 years ago on the first Palm Sunday a conquering king? What was he to conquer, Jopey? That's a, it does depend on what he was to conquer. Did he come to conquer the world? Did he come to conquer uh, the Romans? I don't think so. If so, he did fail. But if he is a conquering king on that first Palm Sunday, then the second question is all important. You ready? Has he conquered your heart? Because I think that's the all-important question. You see, if I understand it, 
And Janet, you and I have been taught this all our lives, haven't we? If I understand it, the kingdom of God is in your heart. I had an an old Church of God preacher say in my presence uh, uh, probably 37 summers ago, he said, Jerusalem won't really fit. The kingdom of God is within you. Jerusalem really doesn't fit there. He came to claim your heart. He came to stake a flag in your heart. Here's my question. I want to submit to you today that he came on that first triumphal entry as a conquering king. Don't be deceived about that. But the other question is all important. He came to conquer your heart. It is and always has been a question of submission. Will you allow him to be your king? You see, he's not going to force himself on anybody. You remember? He came in on either Thelma or Louise. He didn't come in on a white charger with a a sword. I've got to let him be my king. I've got to allow him to plant his flag in my heart. Now, here's what I hope for you. That this holy week will be more meaningful than any before. Uh, it's interesting in my life that they have progressed, the holy weeks for me and the season, the season of Lent have become progressively more and more and more important. Not less and less so. Uh, I hear some preachers talk about, well, I've got to do this. I've got to go into this whole... Uh, you know, holy, holy season thing again. I don't know what I'm going to say this year. You know what the truth is, is that I'm more fascinated about it at 59 than I was at 9. Or 29 or 49. He is continuing to do a work in my heart. And I continue to learn something every holy week. I pray that you will this week. That this will be a, a, a marvelous platform, an opportunity for him to get a little more of your heart in submission for him to plant his flag there forever. God bless you.